What's up, Tells fans? It's been a hot second. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Preston Ellis. Follow me at Preston Ellis, and we have a very special guest today. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report NBA will be joining us to discuss your Pelicans, as well as to preview a bit of tonight's matchup between the Cavs and the Warriors. But before we get to him, I want to urge you guys to check out some of our previous episodes featuring guests from our own Pelican Debrief, as well as guests from Bourbon Street Shots, The Bird Rights, Saints Nation, Times Pick You, the Step Back, Jordan Crawford, and many, many more. Also, head over to pelicandebrief.com, where we keep you occupied with player grades and Tyler Pearson's series on sports-related injuries and modern-day treatments. But now that the appetizer is behind us, let's get to the main course, you guys! It's time to phone a friend. And now we welcome onto the show Dan Favalli. Dan, how are you, my friend? I am doing well, Preston. How are you? I'm I'm thrilled to have you on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is a national writer for the Bleacher Report NBA, and uh, of course, you can follow him at Dan Favalli. That's D A N F A V A L E. He's the deputy editor of NBA Math. That's NBA underscore Math. Hardwood Knox. He's got his own podcast with Andrew Bailey and Adam Frommel over there. The Step Back. Dan, how do you have time to do all of this? Um, sleep is overrated. <laughs> sleep is overrated. How much would you say you average a night? If I can get between four and five, I'm ready. I'm good to go. That's incredible. Is Red Bull coffee? What's the secret? Um, I'm on my vitamin cabinet. Looks like an old person's vitamin cabinet with all the stuff I have to promote energy and just being awake. <laughs> wow, man, that's impressive. Well, we certainly uh, appreciate you taking the time. We're thrilled, in fact. And uh, let's talk about some of your work. It's been qu- kind of quiet on the Pelicans front news-wise, but you've been sharing it out for us, doing our work for us. And one of your articles that I want to touch on first was the NBA Fields uh, sentimental landing spots for every top free agent. And you talked about two of our major Pelicans, uh, one that's on our radar and one that maybe not necessarily on our radar, Paul Millsap, let's talk a little bit about that. In your discussion of Paul Millsap, you said that would be a, a, a launching point with DeMarcus away. Talk a little bit about Paul Millsap joining the Pelicans as a free agent. I don't see it being even a little bit of a possibility. This was more kind of like a parody on the going home situations that everyone used to talk about. But the Pelicans have shown interest in Millsap in the past. I think they were linked when everyone thought he was going to be up for grabs near the trade deadline. and it becomes a non-factor with DeMarcus Cousins there. But if, if you were to remove Marcus, DeMarcus Cousins from the equation, uh, he's probably a better complement to Anthony Davis. He's used to playing off the ball a little bit more. He can defend uh, more positions uh, at the other side of the floor. And you kind of look at just his, I don't know, just his history and his general demeanor where the Cousins isn't going to be known as being a leader. Millsap's been on these Hawks teams that have been, for the most part, uh, emotionally sound, uh, particularly before this season. So having him around while he's on the uh, older side seems like it would have been a great compliment to the Pelicans. That ship has, of course, sailed. They would need to carve out cap space, and they would really have to believe that Cousins isn't coming back in 2018. But the fit with him and Anthony Davis has always been very good in my mind. Yeah, definitely would be. And at 32 years of age, you would think there's there's not a whole lot of time left for him to join the Pelicans. So this would be the optimal time. And of course, for those of you who don't know, he is from Grambling, Louisiana, went to high school there. But moving right along, you really harped on the Pelicans in this article mentioning Drew Holiday as a potential uh, reuniting with his brother Justin in New York. How strong of a possibility do you think that actually is? 
If you look at the logistics, I would say it's a strong possibility that the Knicks can get pretty easily to about $20 million in cap space. That's still most likely not enough to sign Drew, but they can rather easily then carve out the additional $5 million, I think is Matt, or even close to 10 because his max can be around 30. You also have a great recruiter in Justin Holiday already there. You, you own his bird rights. Justin has said the two um, want to play together again. Uh, he kind of hinted that it, it could be in New York, but he might have also just been being a good soldier for the Knicks. If New York was going to make a splash in free agency, and I don't think anyone expects them to, but if they were, this would kind of be their best chance because they've really soured perception of the organization with what happened with Charles Oakley, how Phil Jackson has handled Carmelo Anthony, how Phil Jackson approaches building a basketball team, period. To have that pipeline to a player of Drew's caliber who fills what remains your biggest hole after what feels like decades at the point guard position, it's a possibility I would expect them to at least explore, even if it's just a cursory glance at it. And and again, I think Justin probably makes that possible more so than the Knicks' ability to carve out cap space or or having the hole at point guard. Another possibility you listed in a completely separate article, and I apologize for jumping around, but uh, as long as we're on True Holiday, one of your articles, Building an Off-Season Whiteboard for Every Top Free Agent, you mentioned the Mavs and the Spurs. Now, Ian Bagley says that Ricky Rubio would be the Mavericks' main uh, target at point guard. The other one that you mentioned is the Spurs, and this is interesting, and it links kind of the two articles for me. Because should the Spurs sign Drew Holiday, that takes away the main suitor for Chris Paul. Is there any scenario that you see where the Spurs target Drew Holiday being younger before Chris Paul and maybe a bit more affordable? And maybe Chris Paul flirting with the idea of coming back to New Orleans? The first part of that, if if the Spurs are bent on really fixing the point guard position, I think all those top options have to be on the table. And, and Chris Paul is such a polarizing example because you imagine him playing next to Kawhi Leonard and, and the possibilities for the next three or, or four years, uh, they're endless, it seems right there. But Holiday is going to cost at least $5 million less per year than Chris Paul. It could be even less if it turns out he's not going to get max money from the Pelicans. That limits the collateral damage you have to go through to open up that money. You're already basically committing to losing Patty Mills. And I totally understand not wanting to pay him what could end up being 15 or more million dollars per year. And instead of getting, or instead of losing both LaMarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol, you're looking at moving one of them, preferably Gasol. And then there are other things you can do to come close to sniffing Holiday's market value. And that's why he would be the better option. It also helps that he's about a half decade younger um, than Chris Paul. So you're kind of more aligned with Kawhi Leonard's timeline. Uh, Chris Paul, if he's really looking beyond the Clippers, he doesn't have a lot of options, especially if you remove San Antonio from the equation. He presumably wants to be in an upgraded situation. Uh, A team like the Nuggets could possibly offer him that, but he would really have to look into the future and see great things, not only for their trade assets, but for his ability to function alongside Nikola Jokic. And and that's what he's really looking at is those teams that are kind of on the fringes. And if you're the Pelicans, you're going to lose – uh, Drew Holiday, and you have the ability to dump some of, some of your worst contracts, maybe if you even have to uh, attach a first-round goodie bag to it down the line, maybe Paul does look at it. He would have to be, again, hell-bent on leaving the Clippers, but the chance to play with two of the three best young bigs in the game right now, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, if anyone can balance them out now, it's him, and 
again, I think free agents have to kind of look at it from this perspective. Where can I go where I can not only compete now, but maybe when I'm at the back end of my prime and Golden State and Cleveland aren't such finals formalities, New Orleans would be an option there. There are too many hoops to jump through to where I don't think it would even be a possibility. But if you remove the Spurs from the equation and he still wants to leave the Clippers, that would be a no-brainer scenario in my mind. Now, not just with Chris Paul, but with uh, the, the Pelicans obviously are struggling with cap space. Should they not bring back Drew Holiday? They're currently sitting around 17 or 18 million under the cap as Dante Cunningham has renounced his player option uh, or declined it, I should say. Uh, discuss how a sign and trade with a team like the Clippers, uh, let's say Chris Paul goes to the Clippers and says, you know what, I don't want to be here, but the Pelicans can't afford me and I have to have my Supermax. And of course they have options like, I don't know, trading away uh, Solomon Hill for a future first round pick. Oh, our mayor Sheik would probably take two first round picks or maybe just package something like uh, Alexis Agensa and Quincy Pondexter for some kind of trade exception. What would it take in order to open up a max space for a free agent of Chris Paul's ilk? Um, a sign and trade would even be tough just because I don't know that you ne- the Pelicans necessarily have assets other team want. You can dangle those two first round picks um, in the future. That team that's accepting them, in this case, the Clippers would have to believe that the Pelicans aren't going to be that great, uh, you know, three, five, seven years down the line when those picks convey. And you also need them to take on probably a contract that no one's going to view in, in the most favorable light. You have uh, Etuan Moore, Solomon Hill, and then, of course, Omer Ashik. And I, I just don't see the, the sign and trade as being plausible. But, but if you're the Pelicans and you're just looking to carve out max space to get these meetings with star free agents, Drew, Drew Holiday has to go unless you're so good at dumping salary that you can just find teams with cap space willing to absorb Solomon Hill and, and more. And you're able to just trade away Ashik without – having to attach all these pot sweeteners to them. You, you really have to gut the core to get there. If you lose Drew Holiday, it's a little bit easier because his cap hold comes off the books, and I think it's $16.9 million is his cap holder around there. Uh, then you're looking at maybe moving one or two more pieces, and, and even then, um, to kind of get rid of Omir Ashik, it's, it's going to take a future first-round pick. And are you in a position when you're actively trying to spend money now and you're going to need talent on the cheap later to deal away these these first round picks, uh, which are right now some of the most valuable assets in the league with the way the salary cap has gone. Even with the rookie scale increasing, you're still more likely to get more bang for your buck out of the draft than in free agency. It, it just doesn't seem like a feasible scenario. It almost feels as if should Drew Holiday leave and the Pelicans know that they need to sell DeMarcus Cousins on a future here and they only have one year to do it, that's maybe when they really look at going all in on some of these other names, but the upshot there is who are you getting? That's going to be that noticeable upgrade over drew holiday. Uh, George Hill would be a lateral move. Jeff Teague would be a lateral move. Uh, Kyle Lowry's older would probably be an upgrade for a little bit, but he's going to cost more than $30 million a year if he leaves uh, Toronto. So, so it's all very much up in the air. And if you decide ultimately you don't need a point guard because you have cousins, who's a phenomenal passer and you can use him kind of like Jokic, there's not really a star wing that complements these guys that we could envision going to New Orleans. There's Gordon Hayward, but after him, it, it, it really just thins out. Gallinari's not going to move uh, the needle for you. We know that Kevin Durant's not going to leave Golden State. So for, for the Pelicans, it almost feels like the best case scenario is to get uh, Drew Holiday back while being able to use what limited flexibility they have now, whether it's even just the mid-level exception to kind of build on top of the big three they already have persisting. 
Andrews really got them back into a corner, but don't crush our dreams just yet because uh, Chris Chris would be the optimal person to pair with these two, being a facilitator. Uh, but yeah, you'd have to think he wants to get his money, and I can't imagine any one of his ilk signing more than a, a one and a one with Demarcus Cousins only having one year left on his contract. I don't think any uh, superstar would want to get stuck here. Who's chasing championships but let's move along dan we actually do have some news uh, scott kushner of the advocate one of the beat writers for the pelicans has reported and confirmed that robert pack and phil weber are out sam match uh sorry sam mitchell and chris finch are in just uh to start on sam mitchell he's uh the more recent hire it's been less than seven days he was an assistant with the Bucks, the Bobcats, the Nets, the Wolves, took over uh, as head coach of the Raptors. I think he's probably around their longest tenured coach ever, having served for six seasons. He was named Coach of the Year after leading them to a division title, and Kevin Garnett has given him a great of vote of confidence. He wrote, I want you guys to understand that not only do I endorse Sam Mitchell, but the other players do too. This is when he was the Wolves coach. We believe not only in him, but the system and what we're trying to do here, I think everybody needs to understand that. The transformation of what we're trying to do here is build something for the future. And these are the first steps of that. And Dan, before I let you in on this, I think the primary purpose of bringing Sam in is kind of um, kind of bringing in a tough-minded guy that DeMarcus Cousins is going to respect, kind of mentoring DeMarcus the same way that he mentored Kevin Garnett. Is that what you think as well? That seems like the most logical reasoning. Uh, it, it just feels like a really good point. The the hiring in a nutshell seems just very puzzling to me. I know Sam Mitchell is kind of recognized as not only a hard-nosed guy, but a defensive specialist. And the Pelicans were pretty good defensively for most of last year. They finished at, in the end in the top 10 of points allowed per 100 possessions. If you think he's going to motivate DeMarcus Cousins, that's fine. I, I don't know what type of personality resonates uh, with Boogie. We saw him really respond to Mike Malone. I don't know how similar Mitchell is to Mike Malone on that front, but if you're just bringing this guy in and he clearly got the attention of someone like Kevin Garnett, and there was a time where it looked like he was reaching um, some of the youngsters in Minnesota, uh, then that seems like it could end up being a good balance. And of course, there's a difference between having him as your head coach and then just an assistant under Gentry, where he's allowed to be more focused and, um, where he's not going to impact the rotations and and the roles as much. And that should, in theory, allow him to relate better uh, to some of the players. And and again, if the goal is to kind of find that Mike Malone type person for DeMarcus Cousins, maybe Mitchell is it. I honestly don't know. A lot of his pedigree or or the respect that he's, that I guess, deservedly earned as a coach and as an assistant involves Kevin Garnett and their close relationship. Do you think any of part of this is uh, with the hope that maybe Kevin Garnett is going to show up at some summer training and kind of uh, take DeMarcus under his wing, so to speak? Maybe. I mean, Kevin Garnett's made the rounds over the last year. I think we saw him. He was with the Bucks. He worked with the Clippers. He was kind of all over the place. And if he really respects Mitchell as much as he has said in the past, if the Pelicans said, hey, can you come in? And maybe it's not even a matter of talking to just Cousins, but Anthony Davis. Uh, I don't know that we've seen a great deep dive into how vocal of a leader Anthony Davis is. He's a phenomenal player. The way he carries himself on the court and uh, usually just works on defense is, is great to lead by example. But is he that presence in the locker room, that unifying presence? And can it be him and DeMarcus Cousins together? Um, that have that impact on the Pelicans and, and getting advice from Kevin Garnett on that front is, is hardly a bad thing. And 
now you give yourself a link to him. I'm, I'm sure that factored into the hire, I would guess, but I don't think it's necessarily a big part of it. I would assume more that they really believe he's going to be able to reach some of these players, maybe help them with defensive consistency. And, and again, like you said, uh, hopefully uh, reach DeMarcus Cousins on a level that most of his coaches have not. We, we talked uh, a moment ago about Drew Holiday has the Pelicans backed into a corner as far as free agency and financial uh, cap flexibility goes. And now with this Sam Mitchell hire that seemingly is geared around DeMarcus Cousins and a week prior to that, the Pelicans hired Nuggets assistant coach Chris Finch. Just a, a quick bio on him. He coached in England, Germany, Belgium, uh, made his way to the D-League in 2009. He also coached the English national team in the 2012 Olympics. He's the mastermind behind, you know, the Jokic-led offense in Denver that I think finished the year uh, third or fifth. But from Jokic's insertion into the lineup in mid-December, it was first overall. So once he took over, it was the best offense in the NBA, you have to assume that he's being brought in again to facilitate a DeMarcus Cousins-led offense with Drew controlling the Pelicans' uh, financial uh, flexibility. Anthony Davis, you know, spurring all these uh, desperation-type moves, you know, uh, these first-round picks for Drew Holiday, Omar Sheik. I think the Pelicans haven't had their own first-round pick in something like six out of seven years uh other than Buddy Heald, Austin Rivers, and Anthony Davis. Now Buddy has since been traded and Austin Rivers is gone. Do you think that the Pelicans are are acting out of desperation too much to try to appease their superstars? Or do you think this is a really great hire that makes sense? I don't think it's a desperation move. They have, again, basically a year to bring this all together with DeMarcus Cousins entering free agency. And where they don't necessarily have the flexibility to bring in the perfect players to compliment these guys, you you can bring in coaches that you think are going to be a good fit for them. And and Finch on paper seems like he'll be a great one. Like you said, he built helped build that Nikola Jokic quarterback offense in Denver. There were points where the Nuggets looked like they were okay late in the season running Mason Plumley with Nikola Jokic. So he has experience uh, making an offense with two bigs on the floor. And it should be even easier with Cousins and Davis because they would seem to have more range as a as a as a group um, than Jokic and Plumlee, who doesn't really have much of a jumper. I will be interested to see what he does with everybody else in terms of his say there, just because part of what makes the Nuggets' offense so dangerous around Jokic is the players around him know how to cut. If you just watch Gary Harris, as soon as he gives up the ball to Jokic, he's darting toward the basket. They have that chemistry. I don't know that the Pelicans have that guy or, or those types of guys. And, and the Nuggets also have just more shooters. The Pelicans aren't armed with a, a great excess of three-point snipers. And if you're not going to surround uh, Cousins and Davis with guys who are going to cut and shoot and do both efficiently and consistently, uh, I'm not sure if they'll have the best impact. But if you're bringing him in, I, I would think um, that he'll have ways to design and, and scheme around those nights when everyone around Davis um, and Cousins has gone cold. Yeah, uh, I mentioned desperation. What I really meant was uh, a lack of a plan. Like you said, Jokic, uh, you know, was facilitated by all these great shooters, Wilson Chandler and, and, and also cutters, Gary Harris. All these guys were great at shooting from three-point range. They were also great at dribble and driving and attacking and those running floaters sort of thing. The Pelicans don't have a lot of that outside of Etuan Moore. What I meant was when 
when the Pelicans decided to give Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry one more year in New Orleans and sort of uh, ushered out all three of their assistant coaches other than Darren Ehrman, so two of them, I should say, it, it seems like the New Orleans Saints and the Pelicans are doing very similar things in which they're not really winning, but rather than take away the source of the problem, which could be considered Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry, they're just, you know, moving all these parts under them. And it, it really seems like they don't have a plan. So they're just going to usher out Phil Weber, who's the super positive guy, but maybe can't, you know, get to somebody like DeMarcus Cousins, who needs a, a little bit more tough love. They're pushing out Robert Pack, who might be coaching their D-League team in the future. And they're bringing in all these guys and and starting these new systems with only like You'd have to think six months to make it all work, because if we get to February and we're still two, three games out of 500 or maybe even an eighth seed, it it might be time to to see what you can get for somebody like DeMarcus Cousins. If we get to that point, January, February, and we're not winning and DeMarcus Cousins is starting to request a trade out of town or we just have to start thinking about a trade out of town. Do you think it's time to pull the plug on somebody like Dell Demps and start this over from scratch? Is this a disaster if this doesn't come together very quickly, I guess is the better way of phrasing the question? Yeah, it, it would come pretty close. I, I think you, if you're going to, from this point, if you make any change, it has to be to start over. The Pelicans are in a weird situation because of Cousins' contract situation. You don't necessarily want to put in a head coach who's better suited to guide him because you only have one year with, with him before free agency. You don't want to give the appearance of unrest. And with Dell Demps, should he have still had a job into last season to the point where he could have traded for DeMarcus Cousins? Probably not. But he pulled off a trade that everyone basically loved, and it's hard to can him when he pulls off a move like that. So they're towing this line where they have to instill change without making these wholesale adjustments. If it becomes clear in February that they think Cousins is going to leave and they have to start shopping him. Now, now you've reached the point where you can hit reset. You would, even if it's at the end of the season, you probably get rid of Demps. Then you get rid of Gentry because he's had a few seasons to try and make it work. Even though the personnel has been inconsistent and doesn't really meet the requirements of a team that should be coached by him. And then you can hire higher ups who are allowed to find their own head coach with his own assistants. And there can be, a more united front there. Uh, right now, it helps Gentry that he was hired by Dell Demps because he's Dell Demps's coach then, and that that's probably why you don't shake things up. Is you can't make one move uh, without making the other. If you got rid of Gentry to somehow appease Davis and Cousins, assuming he's not the right fit, uh, now all of a sudden, what do you do if you end up getting rid of of Demps? You have to hire a general manager saying, "Well, we have to keep this coach. It's only been a year." So it, it, the Pelicans seem like they're going all in on this season. And if they're able to keep Cousins and sign him, they may even still look uh, at changes by replacing Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry if the season is is kind of a dud. It, it all comes back to him, I think, right now. You have Anthony Davis under contract. You want to appease him, but uh, he doesn't have the leverage to get out where DeMarcus Cousins does. You don't want to uh, make waves, ruffle feathers before you have him under contract. So they've essentially given Demps and Gentry one year to put this together. And if they don't, um, it doesn't matter if DeMarcus Cousins is there or not, because you would think that the season after next, they'll they'll have a, many different people in place. When we talk about uh, Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry being left uh, for one more year, do you think it's a matter of Demps saving his job with the boogie trade? Or you, do you think because Gentry's only been here for two seasons and in his first season, he really had a raw shake of things with 351 combined injuries, some kind of NBA record, I think. 
Uh, and this past season, he had 12 games without Giroux. And then the final 26 games of the year, he had a completely revamped roster. Do you think Pelicans brass is keeping Demps because of the boogie trade or keeping Demps because they want to keep the pair together and Alvin Gentry really hasn't had an opportunity yet to succeed? It, it seems more like the latter. Demps, by trading for Cousin, probably saved his job. I don't know how bad the optics necessarily would have been if they didn't bring him back for next season. But if, if you brought in someone else, all of a sudden Gentry has to deal with the rumors of his job security from the onset. We're not even talking about during the middle of the season leading in to the 2018 offseason. It's before he really even has a chance to get in a room with Cousins and Davis and the rest of the team. And you kind of undermine his authority that way. And every move they're making comes back to the dynamic on the court, in my opinion, the best way to ensure that you're not messing with it in a detrimental way uh, was to probably keep things the same. And uh, you can tinker things like they have in the peripherals with, with the assistant coaches and hope that yields the necessary change or at least gains enough of the trust of your stars so that even if this season doesn't go as planned, the Marcus Cousins won't leave. And then you'll have the confidence knowing Davis and him are both under contract and you can make whatever major changes that you need to leading into 2018, 2019. Now, I've, I've been pretty negative as far as uh, what could go wrong. But one thing that did go right for the Pelicans was Anthony Davis' first team All-NBA selection, which you would have to think gets him closer to the Supermax that he could be eligible in three years. Uh, now, I don't know if you can explain this better than me. It's the designated player ex- exception or extension rather, and it qualifies him for 35% of the cap, meaning that three years from now, the Pelicans can extend him and can exceed the final year of his contract, which right now sits at $27 million in 2019. They can up that to $38 million, and then they can give him the five-year Supermax, which, of course, Chris Paula is eligible for, although he's not a, a 10-year player yet. So just, just explain for me, if you can, what this means as far as uh, the Derrick Rose rule, you know, getting one MVP three years before your extension or two All-NBA selections or two Defensive Player of the Year um, uh, victories in the final three years. What does this mean towards the Pelicans being able to re-sign Anthony Davis to more money going forward? It means a whole lot. And you hit everything spot on. And the bigger thing is that you can offer those five years on top of his salary leading into, I believe it'll be the eighth season of, of his career. So whereas he has to wait out another year and, and then get paid if he's going to enter free agency, to have all that money in front of you that far in advance and to guarantee yourself another five years um, at that 35% max of the salary cap, which depending on how high the, the salary cap could be, we're, we're talking about a difference of between five and $8 million a year. That, that's a lot of money, especially over the course of a five-year deal. It makes it really difficult for Anthony Davis to leave, even if he really isn't happy with the direction of the franchise. And, and for the Pelicans at that point, he's still young enough where if you lock him up on this massive deal, you can technically trade him if things aren't going the, the way that you want and that he wants um, one or two years into that deal. And he holds more value because he's not coming up on free agency. He's under lock and key. So it, it's great for them that he's, still performing up up to snuff at this point in his career because it's going to make it so much easier for them to keep him um, for, for most of his career, even for his entire career. And that's the advantage of these designated player ex- extensions, provided that you know the player you have is worth it. And that's kind of the, I don't know if it was an intended or if it's an unintended effect, but we saw the Kings kind of balk 
at giving DeMarcus Cousins that $200 million commitment by moving him. Uh, if the Pacers, if Paul George came to them and said, let's say he made an all-NBA team this year, or you know he's going to make one next year, and he said he's willing to stay for that contract, do you want to give him more than $200 million? Is he the type of player that can be the best star on a championship contender? Is he the guy who's worth that much money? With Anthony Davis, when he's healthy, there's no question. And that makes it even easier for the Pelicans because now they don't have to ask themselves if they should be doing it. They just know this is a player they should pay. And this rule makes it easier for them to pay him more sooner than everybody else. The, uh, you guys, this is Dan Favalli again, at Dan Favalli, a national writer for Belisha Report NBA. Thank you so much for your time. Before I let you go, he's got a new article up on Bleacher Report NBA, and it's titled, It's Up to the Cavs and Warriors to Save the 2017 Playoffs. And uh, I think you mentioned on your podcast that the the, the technical term for this would be a tetralogy, uh, which needs a new name. But uh, Dan, give us give us a precursor to this. Of course, we're recording this on Thursday morning, so game one is tonight. Will the Cavs and the Warriors save the 2017 playoffs? What do you think? I want to say yes, because my pick is Warriors and six, but six games doesn't have to infer a high level of competition. Uh, LeBron James is playing phenomenal basketball. This might be the best postseason version of him we've ever seen. And when you have him, you give you give yourself a chance. The issue is, is that just trying to figure out how the Cavaliers are going to contend with the Warriors. We know Cleveland is going to score, but how do they begin to defend Golden State? You've replaced Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant, and it's a broken record, but you have to say it because the Cavaliers lived with Harrison Barnes getting a lot of open looks in last year's finals, and you can't just do that to Kevin Durant. He will slay you if he gets that many wide open opportunities. And now it's a matter of, do we leave Draymond Green open like all these other teams have been doing during the postseason? What happens when the Warriors go super small with Green at the five? Do we pull Kevin Love off the floor? Do we pull Thompson off the floor? Do we leave them both on? Can we survive with Kevin Love at center defensively? There's just so much going on. And it's all complicated by the fact that LeBron James can't defend everyone. If you stick him on Kevin Durant, what happens with Draymond Green? Stick him on Draymond Green, what happens with Kevin Durant? Put him on either one of those guys. Have you exhausted his energy levels for the offensive end? Last year, he was kind of allowed to roam around the defensive end more. How do you do that this year? Do you put him on uh, one of the lesser uh, of the core four so that he can sort of roam around and you hope that he'll be able to close out on Clay Thompson a little bit quicker, even if it's Iguodala on the floor? I, I honestly just don't know. And any answer... I come up with that seems appetizing or another answer that someone else comes up with that seems a little bit appealing. I don't see the Cavaliers slowing the Warriors down enough to win four times in seven tries. And, and that's really the goal of all of this. You just look at the talent and there's a huge gap there. So I, I don't think it's going to save the playoffs. I, I think we're going to look back at this and maybe we'll see a blueprint for how Cleveland can get better and closer to the Warriors' level. But the Warriors almost won in five games last year in the NBA finals. And now they've added Kevin Durant to basically that same core. There's a chance that this thing is over quickly or that even the six games feel like that Raptors Cavalier series in last year's Eastern conference finals, where it was never really in doubt, even though it was two to two at one point. So I'm hoping, and my heart almost says that they will save it, but my head, just looking at the way they match up, I, I don't necessarily see the Cavaliers giving the Warriors enough of a scare for us to think that, hey, the rest of these playoffs laboring through them was worth it. Do you think there's something exciting about a team potentially being the first one ever to go 16-0 and in the playoffs? 
Or are you just against super teams altogether and look forward to Adam Silver putting together some kind of regulation that keeps them from, from being formed? I'm not against super teams. And, and I think if there was ever, if there is another salary cap spike, the NBA will be on top of it to really smooth it out. So you don't create this anomaly where the best team, not only in a league, but in NBA history was able to add a top five player, like what happened last summer with Durant and the Warriors. What fascinates me, and it might not reach a, a more casual fan, I love seeing the response to all this. And I don't take, I guess, glee in seeing the Warriors sweep the Cavaliers or even vice versa. But if the Cavaliers really get run off the floor, think of the chaos that will ensue over the summer. Which teams are really going to go for it if the Cavaliers aren't even um, close to the Warriors. Will there be squads even brave enough to do that? Will we see teams delay rebuilds so that they can try and wait out uh, the Warriors and, and even the Cavaliers' window? Will we all of a sudden see Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love trade rumors because someone floats the Chris Paul sign-and-trade idea or someone thinks that using Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving as bait gets the Cavaliers in the Paul George or Jimmy Butler conversations? I'll be here for all that, and that, that stuff I enjoy. I, I'm rooting for a competitive finals, but it's, it's not the end of the world if these playoffs are ruined because the the way the league reacts to this. And, and by that, I mean the other teams and the approach they take, there will always be at least one squad trying to catch the warriors, trying to catch the latest fad. And, and I'll be enthralled to see which team does it and, and how they try and do it. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Again, I uh, just want you guys to follow him at D a N F a V a L E. He's a national writer for bleach report, deputy editor of NBA math, hardwood Knox. The step back, uh, he's all over the place. So we appreciate you taking the time so much. Make sure to remember to take your vitamins. And uh, we'd love <laughs> to have you on again soon, hopefully once free agency starts. Most definitely. Thank you for having me, Preston. Take of care. Co- of course. Thank you again to Dan Favalli. Can't say it enough. I had such a great time hosting him. This has all been so much fun, from from hosting Dan to Ali Cassell, Ian Levy, Mason Ginsburg, Brennan Clean, Andrew Juge, Jeff Duncan, so, so many more of you guys. Thank you to everyone listening for your continued support and for making all of this possible. I love talking to Pelicans, and I appreciate so much you guys tuning in and and, and uh, giving a platform for an underqualified schmuck like me to host all these insanely intelligent and talented people. Again, if you haven't already, hit subscribe, like us on iTunes, all that jazz. Follow me at Preston Ellis. And if you want to hear another episode in the next week, send us some questions. We don't have much to talk about. We'd love to hear from you. And the more questions we get, the sooner I'll hop back on here. Until then, thank you guys, and let's go Pels! Pels!